welcome back to the Thundersticks podcast. I'm your host, Ben Kreider, and today we are going to be looking at the Thunder's rotational crunch, kind of where everything stands as of right now. And I'm going to be looking at the point guard spot. We have Tato Maladone and Ty Jerome trying to make a case to stick around in the 15-man roster. So I'll be talking about both of them, kind of where they would fit if they make the roster next season and uh, how they would kind of bode in a trading camp battle. Also want to talk about Vic Krejci as well in this mix. And I want to talk about some of the former OKC Blue players and how they performed in the Las Vegas Summer League. And to top it all off, guys, I have a very special offer from my good friends over at DraftKings Sportsbook. So you do not want to miss out on that. Starting things out, though, I want to talk about the Thunder's rotation. And, you know, they entered kind of draft day with 20 guys that they had to uh, worry about. You know, this is post-draft, of course. We all know all four of their rookies got signed. So you're at 20 players you know for sure are going to be either, you know, fighting for that standard contract. And, you know, you have other other means. You could trade them, for instance. But they're on standard contracts. And you have two two-way guys in Lindy Waters. Eugene Omaruyi just got signed, so we'll tack that on. That's 22 players, and I don't, I know the timeline's a little different because they did wave Isaiah Roby prior to Eugene signing, but, you know, they've been teetering in the 20s when it comes to their roster, and you still gotta remember, they have Exhibit 10 signings in Gabe Brown and Jaden Shackelford, so really, you're looking at a roster that at one point had 23 players on it fighting for training camp. And there's only 15 standard contracts, two two-way deals. they got to make some roster cuts. And they did that. Obviously, they did a couple weeks ago with Isaiah Roby. He gets waived going to the San Antonio Spurs off the waivers. That's a hell of a deal for the Spurs. I feel like Roby probably had options because, you know, he's still in his infancy stages as a player. Has been very good. And we're talking in every role. You know, he's not a traditional center, right? But that is where he's played in the NBA ranks. That's not Isaiah Roby's best position. He's more of a power forward, uh, but he showed a lot of ability setting high ball screens, rolling to the basket, and even popping from three. You got to remember, he's shooting in the 40% last year from distance. So that's a certified role player who I think had the Thunder been on a different timeline right now would have made this roster. I think he's one of the top 15 guys, you know, the Thunder could have had going into next year, but because of the rotation because it likely would have been a repeat where he's playing behind JRE, he's going to play small ball five, there's not a secondary role for that with Chet and now J-Will on the roster, so, you know, he has the talent, it's just sometimes in the NBA, and this goes for all 30 teams, it's a matter of finding guys that suit you the most, not, not as much talent, and that's honestly why a lot of second round picks don't pan out. It's because they go to the wrong situation. They don't have the opportunities. The Thunder, they allowed him to get better opportunities with the Spurs. I'm sure he'll be a rotational guy for them next season. And then also Jermichael Green. He is off the roster. He's going to head over to the Denver Nuggets and after he's going to clear waivers, which I believe he has to this point. And he ended up getting rid of, I believe, two and a half million on his expiring deal. So, that's nice for the Thunder. You know, they're able to get a little bit of that money shed away, you know, as they're moving on from him. They still have the contract of Kemba Walker they're dealing with this year. And then also Kyle Singler, about $1 million still written up to his name. He has one more year left, 
and then he's not going to be talked about. But, you know, when the Thunder have those, like, legend days where they bring guys back, I hope Kyle Singler's there. He was supposed to be there last year. He didn't show, uh, but... You know, as long as Duke's not in the national championship or Final Four, I think we'll see him, which is going to be a very excellent moment in Thunder history. But just going back to the roster, so they've cut two guys. They now have 18 players under standard contracts, two two-ways, and two Exhibit 10s. Let's start with the Exhibit 10s and Gabe Brown and Jaden Shackelford, because both of them actually were very impressive in their games. And I've been covering these exhibit 10 guys and really everyone on this roster going into summer camp from the get go. You know, this isn't one of those things where you see him do well and oh, let's let's talk about how we knew stuff beforehand. Absolutely not. You know, I gave you guys my upfront feelings on both Brown and Shackelford. I think both of them are very good players for the OKC Blue. Are they going to be on the 15 man roster? I don't think so. I think with Gabe Brown I actually think he might be worth a two-way contract if he performs well, uh, just based on his archetype. Six foot seven shooter, dropped 23 points in the Thunder's last game, really efficient from downtown, and that's what he was doing with the Michigan State Spartans. Four years there, just a three-point shooter. Didn't play much until his senior year. Senior year rolls around, he makes the most of it. Jaden Shackelford, pure scorer. He's not a passer at the one spot, which is something I think you need in order to be an NBA player you know you can be a microwave scorer but even guys like Frank Jackson there he's a great scorer he didn't make the training camp team two years ago with OKC and he still has his roster spot in hijinks he got waived by the Pistons and he doesn't have another team he's heading off to right now you have to be lethal in the scoring department as a guard if you don't have anything to back that up so I think he's an OKC blue type of guy Gabe Brown you hope he sticks if you bring some to training camp I think Brown is probably first, and then you put Shackelford second, uh, just based on the needs. But even if they're going to be in training camp, you have to shed the roster a ton. You have to get down to the point where, you know, you have 16 guys on standard deals and two two-way contracts. So they have to cut two guys prior to that point. I don't think that's realistic. I think they want to keep as many as possible from that pack of 18. First one, I think everyone is kind of mocked up leaving as Derek Favors. You know, this is a contract that they picked up in last year's NBA draft and got a free first round pick out of it from the Utah Jazz, which looks to be very valuable now. They got rid of Rudy Gobert and they could make even more moves in terms of Donovan Mitchell. I don't think he's going OKC. I don't know where he's going to land, but if he gets traded, that's a very valuable pick. And we don't even know what the protections are on it. It's such a weird, weird deal where no one really has any tracings to what that pick is. We just know it's a Utah Jazz first-round selection at some point. But with that, you got favors, and he's 31 years old now. This is a certified veteran. OKC has shown a liking towards veteran pieces. Mike Muscala returns to the roster. Kenny Hustle, I think he's a different type of role. He's a role player, number one. He's going to get minutes, but he's also a veteran uh, at the same time. With Derek Favors, you know, he's a a great backup type of vet. You know, if you're talking 14th or 15th man on a playoff team, you're going to hope you have Derek Favors on your team because he's a solid rebounder. He can set you screens, and he showed a little bit of play in the mid-range as well. You know, he was a former All-Star guy for a reason with the Jazz. He's making over 10 mil this year. 
And I don't think you're going to trade that away. I think at this point, you have to take that cut. You have to waive him. And Sam Presti and Clay Bennett, you know, it, it sounds like they're willing to do that. That's what Presti said in his draft day interview, media day after the first round picks were brought in. Like, one of the advantages that he said was, you know, ownership is willing to kind of eat some guaranteed money for the sake of player development. Favors brings a lot to the table in terms of knowledge. If we're ranking who's going to add the most, who's going to be the best mentor, Derek Favors is up there. Mike Muscala is going to be up there. And I think that's a fair assessment. They could just be one and two, to be honest with you. But if they are really sold on the development of some of these players, Derek Favors has to be shed and he has to be waived. OKC has shown the liking towards veterans. Darius Miller was on the 15-man roster two years ago. Darius Miller hardly played, but he was a good vet. You also had Trevor Ariza. I know his situation's different. He really didn't make an impact in OKC, but they kept him. Probably more as a trade piece, but he was there. Uh, And then, to a lesser extent, there's Al Horford, because that's another deal where you're kind of looking to flip him. But Darius Miller is the big one where they prioritized Miller over a guy like Jackson because Miller is going to be able to help the team out. Favors is going to help the team out. He's going to give you more mentorship than your rookie contract, guys, which is a big portion of this roster. However, if you're looking to prioritize long term and you are sold on guys like Credgy, Maladone, and Jerome, You have to get rid of favors, and that's going to lessen this down to where you're talking 17 guys on the roster, and that's where the real conversation begins with those three guys in Teo, Ty Jerome, and V. Kredge, and I want to talk about all three in one second here, but first, I want to let you all know about a very special offer going on with my good friends over at DraftKings Sportsbook. The action never ends at DraftKings Sportsbook, especially this summer. With tons of ways to bet on all your favorite sports, you can fuel your fandom and feel the heat of the season like never before. Plus, right now, DraftKings Sportsbook is giving new customers a risk-free bet up to $1,000. You can get in on DraftKings Sportsbook bets on baseball, MMA, golf, and more. Plus, with same-game parlays, spreads, money lines, over-unders, and props, your betting options feel endless. Summer League is over now, but you can start flipping the page into some other sports. I'm kind of in the UFC, so I know there's an event going on, I believe this Saturday. I think it's going down in Houston. So for some of you, that might be a manageable drive, uh, but you guys can look at some of those matchups there, see if you like anybody uh, on that card. Should be pretty good. It's always good over at DraftKings Sportsbook. Best of all, though, DraftKings is safe, secure, and reliable. You can deposit and withdraw all your cash whenever you want. Here's what you have to do for the offer. Go ahead and download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code TBPN. Make your first deposit and get a risk-free bet up to $1,000. That's promo code TBPN only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for details. Getting into the meat and bones of this discussion, though. We got past Derek Favors. He could still make this team. I don't think you can rule out anybody. But if you're going to pick one out, I think Favors is probably going to be one of them, right? 
But then it gets difficult because this Thunder team is just filled with guys loaded with potential. So many extra draft picks are coming in for OKC. It's going to get tougher and tougher for some of these players. And we could see a lot more Isaiah Roby type of pieces leave the team just because you have so many incoming guys. With that said, though, every year you're going to get a new batch of players to evaluate. And you're also going to have those returning players where you can get kind of that up-close look yet again and kind of see where the development goes and if you want to retain them. The three big guys that you're looking at in this conversation are Teo, Ty, and Veet. And I think the first two that you need to assess are Teo and Ty Jerome. Oklahoma City did not pull the trigger on a point guard in this year's draft. They got J-Dub, who I think is a competent ball handler, but he's going to be a two or three. You don't have the Josh Giddy or the Trey Mann type of prospect coming in this year. What you do have, though, are guys from two years ago in the draft class, and even Crunchy coming in, who was also two years ago. So there you go. The 2020 draft, basically. You just have a batch of those guys where they're going to be entering their third season, and you have to make some tough calls on all of them. Teo, I think, is where you want to start with things because Teo was a very promising player as a rookie. He led the team in minutes. SGA, you know, he falls out. He has a season-ending injury. And Teo is starting to run the offense. We saw when he was playing in France, he's a really good type of passer playing in the half court. Even in the fast break, I like him. But you get him a high ball screen, very high intelligence in terms of finding the role man, but also throwing cross court passes if he sees someone kind of collapse inside from one of the corners. So he's a very good passer. The thing is, is the other parts of his game. Can he create for himself? We saw it in flashes for sure. He can get into his floater, but the touch was simply not there. He was way too inconsistent last season, and it was sort of a down year for him. He was supposed to be the six-man type of player. You go into training camp and preseason last year, you think that he's ahead of Ty Jerome by Miles in the rotation and Trey Mann in the rotation. And I don't think that's wrong. I actually think he was probably slated to have a big role in the bench unit. But it didn't work out because he struggled. You saw Ty get minutes. He had a couple good games. November, Trey Mann had some big games. Plays with the OKC Blue. Dominates. And he's back up, and he earned his spot. So now it's Teo and Ty kind of fighting for breadcrumbs. Ty Jerome is able to secure that. Teo's on the outside looking in for most of last year. He had to play in the G League, which he didn't do as a rookie because he was playing so well. But he has to play with the OKC Blue for about a month. He gets back up to par. He's basically one of the best guys on the court for the Blue. And he earned minutes again. And he ended the year strong. You know, when you look at his end-of-year averages, of course it's lower than last or his rookie campaign, simply because he didn't play as much. But he averaged 7.1 points, 2.6 boards, and 2.2 assists. When you delve into the details, field goal percentage, still not great for him. 37.5% from the floor and 29.3% from distance good at the at the foul line. I'll give him that, but he was not a three-point shooter. Teo is a good point guard. I think when you're looking at point guard projects, if I'm an opposing GM and I'm thinking who has maybe a buy low point guard, 
Teo Maladon's on the list because I still think he has some gas left in the tank in terms of his ability to play the one. He didn't really play point guard last year. He was the backup two when he was playing a lot of the times, and that's not his natural position. If he's going to be at his highest level, he has to be very ball dominant, and he has to be taking it past the timeline. That's very difficult for the Thunder to provide. They already have SGA and Josh Giddy. That's a tandem that's having all the the ball handling opportunities, you know, when they're playing together, and when it's just one of them, they're the primary guy. Secondary players are laid out with guys such as Trey Mann and, and J-Dub. So when you slide Teo in the mix, you're basically putting him next to another primary ball handler all the time. So that that archetype's kind of been filled, I guess you could say. That makes it really difficult for Teo because his role is set in stone. I'm bringing the ball up. Set me a screen. I'm going to make things work. And he does. He, he is good at picking apart defenses. But he needs to have the basketball in his hands. And he needs to break out down the, the play himself. You know, if you spot him in a wing and you give him a catch and shoot opportunity, he'll take it. But he's not a very strong catch and shoot player. But also, if he starts dribbling off that catch, he's not the same player as if he's getting a screen at the top of the key. He needs a lot uh, in order to kind of get his game going, but he's a very smart player. You know, when he goes over screens and he sees his man goes over the screen as well, he's going to use kind of his behind to create room. Just kind of pause after he gets the half a second advantage on his guy, pause, bump him with his behind, and then he has room to get into his floater or kick it out. Those are plays that you can teach, of course, but... When you see guys do that as a rookie, you know there's something about him. And Teo Maladon did that as a rookie. He had very good games. So the potential's there. He's 21 years old, not guaranteed anything. So if you're looking to shed contracts, that's an easy one if you're looking at the financials. But there's just a lot with him that I think you still want to experiment with. I'll go into kind of the the other side of this argument in one second here, but... Yeah, um, for his draft selection at 34, I don't think it was bad. He was definitely a steal at the time after his first season, uh, but he kind of got a little stagnant in terms of his minutes. His production went down. Could he be destined for a big third year? I think sure. He needs to have minutes and he needs to have opportunities. I don't know if the Thunder are going to give that to him, though. So that's kind of the breakdown on Teo. When you look at Ty Jerome, Virtually the same exact thing happened. Now, he he's a fourth-year guy. I messed it up. He was a 2019 pick, 30th pick in the first round. But the curve is still the same. Like, first season with the Thunder, he was amazing. He had to play in the G League. He had an injury in training camp. Kind of thought maybe he could get cut, doesn't get cut. And he was all right in the G League bubble. Showed some promise as a passer, good three-point shooting. And he was a lot better than I expected, to be honest. I thought in the G League bubble, yeah, he was good, but he wasn't Moses Brown. He wasn't Omer Yurt 7. Even Xavier Simpson looked better than him at times. But it didn't matter because he goes out there as a sophomore, averages 10.7 points and 3.6 assists, shooting 42.3% from distance. That is exactly what the Thunder need. They need a combo guard who can play off the ball, especially with a guy like SGA and even Giddy, 
who handle the ball so much. They're going to leave lead the league in drives, probably as a duo right there. So many possessions are started through them. You need a low-maintenance player who can kind of play off them. That's exactly what Ty did as a sophomore. And a lot of the reps, he played alongside Ty, uh, Teo, actually, because you didn't have SGA uh, for the back end of the year. Last season, though, same type of deal. He gets... Uh, thrown into this positional battle, ends up being two out of three, which gives him minutes still, but then he suffers a season-ending injury, basically same time as everyone else, SGA, JRE, when he has his injury. So he got a bad card in terms of the medicals there, but uh, when he was playing, you know, it was almost a spinning image of Teo. Let's look at this, like 7.1 points, 1.6 rebounds, and 2.3 assists. Virtually the same thing in all three categories. But the one thing you need to look at with Ty is the three-point percentage. He shot 29% from distance last year. That is a stark contrast from his first year in a Thunder jersey. He was a flamethrower as a sophomore. Year three, kind of a cold spell. And as a rookie, Granted, he didn't have as many chances with the Suns, but he played 31 games, shot 28% from distance. So he didn't show a lot of promise as a rookie there. Looked like a smart passer. Then he shows everything. But now he dips back down to where you don't know if he's as consistent of a guy. I'll tell you what, if you're looking for someone to nail 32-foot shots, Ty Jerome is still probably one of your better options by zone, right? But... Are you 100% certain he's still the same catch-and-shoot threat? Are you positive it wasn't just one of those moments where he was on fire to end the season? He was consistent all of year number two. I don't think it was like rough patches. There were none of those with him. He was just on the money a lot of the times, but he wasn't in his third year. I think the same exact thing happened where his role gets reduced. You kind of need to figure out your place in the rotation and you kind of just get hit with that wall. So he wasn't the same player uh, that he was last year or two years ago. And now I think he's not really guaranteed a spot either. V Credci. I'll probably do a separate pot on him just because the situation's different. But, you know, he joins in and he had to play a lot of ball with the OKC Blue last year. Couldn't really find a role. Now, he got to play to end the season. There were lots of guys injured, and I think he was pretty good. 6.2 points, 3.4 boards, and about two assists off the bench. Good output from him going into his second year uh, next season. But a lot of these role players from two years ago just didn't have the same chances because of the incoming talent and because you didn't have a lot of injuries until the end of the season. Now, you need to kind of clear everything. You need to say, if you're an executive, what does this team need moving on into the future? Because they there are two different types of players here with Teo and Ty. They both come with their pros. They both come with cons. Teo, he still has value as a prospect. I still believe it. I think his passing ability is on par with an NBA player. Off the ball, I don't think he's there right now. He's way too inconsistent currently. Uh, but when he was able to shoot the basketball... Oh my goodness, he was a monster as a rookie. If you can get him up to at least a competent three-point shooting level, let's say 34% next year from distance, that's going to be a success story with him. With Ty Jerome, you're looking at a player who's four years older. He's 25, going into his fourth season. 
very smart playmaker. I think when you kind of order everybody in terms of best half-court passers, there's a case that Ty Jerome is not just in the top three, but top two or top one. As wild as it sounds, he is so smart. He's not someone looking to pull off flashy dribble moves. When's the last time you saw a highlight clip of him breaking someone's ankles and getting to the basket? It just doesn't happen. He just wavers around the top of the key, either launches a three, or finds someone cutting to the basket. His assist-to-turnover ratio is kind of what sells it here. He had a 2.7 career assist-to-turnover ratio. For example, you're looking at Josh Giddy last year. He had a 2-to-1 ratio, and that's still good. But 2.7 is a very high mark to be setting. Teo can't compete with that. SGA, I don't think he can compete with that either. He's sort of on his own area there, and he does it in condensed minutes. Well, how does that happen? It's because he's really meticulous as a player, but he's low maintenance. He's someone who you can put on the wing, but also put at the top of the key, and he'll find the right guy. He doesn't need a ton of dribble moves to find players. He just needs the passing vision. So he has NBA-level passing ability. He's not a good handler in terms of shot creation, might not be the greatest, but you know for certain he's a strong passer. Who's going to fit better with this team? I think given the role and given the position the Thunder are wanting to fill, let's say they're looking to contend, it probably is Ty Jerome just based on the fact they need someone to play off the catch. This isn't an on-ball backup point guard role because you have so many on-ball threats already. Ty, if you believe in the shot, still fits what the Thunder need. And that's probably why they wanted him in the Chris Paul trade to begin with. However, if you think Jerome's not going to be a 40% three-point guy again, if he's not consistent enough, he's 25 years old. He'll be a good passer. But in four years' time, do you think Teo Maldon's still going to be a productive player on this roster? If the answer is yes, you still are going to have some value in him as well. So... I think the better prospect goes to Teo, but the better fit goes to Ty Jerome currently. And both of these guys are going to be fighting for a roster spot. I think there's a scenario where both of them actually lose their their spot, and Veet is the one that survives this roster cut. Or there's a wild card. But it's not like one or the other. You know, both could get axed. The main thing is, I think they'd probably want a tertiary point guard. And the way they've utilized their two-way deals, they didn't get a ball handler. They have Lindy Waters and Eugene Omarugi. Basically a a 3 and D guy um, on both fronts, really. I think that's where you could categorize Lindy and Eugene. So they should probably want a a third point guard. The more true one is Teo Maladone, but the more versatile one is going to be Ty Jerome. If you're looking for fireworks, I'd probably go with Teo Maladone. If you're looking for the better long-term project, it's probably going to be Teo Maladone as well. But if you're assessing the floor, and the floor in particular with this team, Ty Jerome just has a higher one based on how low usage he is with the ball in his hands, you know? And that that might be what the Thunder need on that checklist. If I'm a, another GM, though, like I said, I, I still think Teo Maladon might have something. I think he's a backup caliber point guard, and he showed it as a rookie. The passing's too good. It's just this Thunder squad, they already have so many different guys like that. It's just like the Isaiah Roby situation where you know he's an NBA guy. 
You know it's someone you want to develop, but you just can't fit him in when you have players such as Jeremiah Robinson Earl playing ahead of them in the depth chart. So it's kind of an entangled web for both guys. I don't expect if either of them make it to this roster, I don't expect them to be having consistent minutes over and over again because of how this team is structured. And with J-Dub joining, it's going to make it even harder. Kenrich Williams getting re-signed, it's going to make it even harder. There's a lot of people at the two position now, and I think in years prior, you can kind of get away with being a combo guard. Now, you're probably a point guard unless there's injuries where you get called up. So I think that is kind of the best way for me to look at it right now. If I were to make a call on either, I think that, um, honestly, I actually don't know. Because if I was thinking of the mindset of we're rebuilding, let's continue to, you know, strengthen our chips. There's more trade value with Teo Maladon, I think. But you'd almost have to play him in the G League at some points because of the team structure. If you're looking, though, at you know what the Thunder need and other things such as that, it is tie. And the comparison I'll use is from 2020 again. I already talked about Darius Miller and his uh, kind of foothold in that team and how he made the 15-man roster. What about Justin Jackson? He comes in as part of a trade, and you really couldn't tell if he was getting waived or not. I thought Justin Jackson was going to be good coming out of North Carolina. When he was with the Kings, I was like, yeah, he'll be a good you know, backup or maybe low-level starter sharpshooter. Didn't really pan out, and then with the Mavs, kind of the same thing. When he gets into training camp and you see Frank Jackson just light it up, it looked like he. It looked like Frank Jackson was making the team, and it looked like someone like Justin Jackson was gone. That's not what happened. Frank Jackson's on the outside. Justin Jackson makes the team. Jackson must have been about twenty-five years old at the time. Prides himself off of being a sharpshooter. Frank Jackson, really up and down as a player and consistency, but he's a microwave. We saw that when the Pistons came to town earlier in the season. He might have led the team in scoring, actually. Led the game because he was able to hit from all three areas. Jackson is more of the dice roll. Frank Jackson. We have like the J-Dub, J-Will situation going on here. So my apologies. But when you got Frank there, he's up and down, but there's a higher ceiling to him. Justin Jackson at that point, you knew his floor was he's going to be a sharpshooter, but is there much of a ceiling left? Maybe not as high. They went with Justin Jackson anyways. It didn't really pan out with him, and he gets waived. He gets a championship ring out of it, though. So, you know, that's the silver lining to all this. I'd probably categorize Ty Jerome as the Justin Jackson and Teo Maladone as the Frank Jackson because there's a lot more upside with the Frank Jackson type of player, a little bit more high usage, and the role might already be filled. The Justin Jackson type of player is the low-maintenance guy who, even if you have his role filled, you can still sneak him in with some rosters. He can shoot the basketball a little bit. In the case of Ty, he's a good passer. So, they're two different guys that are going to be in the back end of your rotation, but they bring different elements to this team. And the Thunder are sort of at a crossroads right now where they can pick between do we want long-term guys or do we want more you know, like developmental guys that might not be on the team in a little bit. 
the long-term guy where you think, oh, maybe we can, you know, throw him low ball contracts over and over is Ty. Teo, though, it's more of the out-of-the-park type of swing. So I don't think we're going to have any clarity until training camp starts up. I think that's in the beginning of September. And we're not going to get much on this conversation at all. I just wanted to kind of talk about my view on both of those candidates and, you know, where I think the selling points are for both of them because they're both extremely different and I could see the Thunder valuing really either of them. So that's sort of my just head-on view at it. You know, there's no real biases with me here. You know, I'd be lying if I didn't tell you I really like Teo Maladon as a player, but in terms of rotational fit, it's very hard. I think Ty fits better. So... That's my little crack at it. If you guys have any differing views on that or you want to talk about one of the other players, make sure to let me know on my Twitter, at Ben Kreider, or you guys can go to the pod sorter, at ThunderstickPod. I want to round things out here with some OKC Blue Talk again, actually, and I want to talk about the different prospects we saw in Las Vegas. I did this a couple weeks ago whenever the competition was actually kicking off. So this was in early July here. We're about a, a week in... A couple days, I'd say a week and a day now, actually, from the final summer league game. Uh, but I still think I want to, you know, talk about some of the guys we got to see from the former Blue Squad and how they performed, and you know, if they could make an NBA roster. So six different prospects. One thing that I want to talk about: Blue Arena. Haven't heard anything on it. I know that Holt, a uh, Mayor Holt you know, is looking at the OKC Thunder getting a new arena. I tried talking to him on Twitter, you know, is, is the OKC blue part of this deal, whatnot. I didn't hear anything. Um, I don't have him followed, so I can't really directly contact him, but I didn't hear anything from him. Hopefully they're able to get some solution though, because the OKC blue being an OKC is such a big advantage for the Thunder, you know, when they're trying to develop so many different guys at once. Anyways, though, start things off with Lindy Waters the third. We saw him in Utah and in Las Vegas. He really didn't play that many games, and he didn't have a large role. He averaged 4.7 points and one rebound across three games. He already has his spot solidified, and we already know what he's going to do for this team. He's a sharpshooter. Get him on flybys, put him in the corner, he'll be able to produce. So many different dominoes had to be looked at in summer leagues, so I'm not all that shocked. Lindy wasn't popping off the page. Probably a better 82-game type of player than he is right here. You know, Summer League is meant for shot creators where, you know, you can launch 20 shots and drop a 30-piece. For a rotational guy with a set skill set, I just kind of use the same word over, but you're not going to be performing as well. You're not going to have as many opportunities to have the ball in your hands, and there's not as many design plays for you to kind of find those openings. So Lindy... You know, he got through passable grade. It wasn't anything crazy, of course, but he's fine going into training camp. I think his two-way spot is probably going to be cemented once we get into the regular season. DJ Wilson, he got a two-year partially guaranteed contract from the Raptors in Vegas. So he is the biggest winner from the OKC Blue Crew. $250,000 are guaranteed from that contract. He was a monster in the G League. It, it goes without saying, if you guys attended an OKC Blue game last year, you know what I'm talking about. I went to one game, I think in March, 
and there was one custom OKC blue jersey I saw. This was maybe like a 13, 14-year-old kid. DJ Wilson custom jersey. And I was like, oh, well, let me check online, see, you know, um, how these jerseys are sold. It's all customized jerseys. So this guy must have told his parents, hey, you know, I want a DJ Wilson jersey. I think that's totally sick. Um, but that's the only custom jersey I saw for the blue team, and it happened to be DJ. He wasn't a three-level scorer last year. He was drafted out of Michigan to be a three-point threat, and he hasn't really been that thus far. Wasn't that with the blue. But he did kind of transform his game. He's a really good rebounder, really good around the basket, improved post-game, and really soft touch on some mid-ranges. So offensively, I think he's an NBA-level player again. He's going to be someone that's 14th, 15th on your roster, but low maintenance, it's a really good perk. You know, you don't want your 15th guy being someone launching 10 shots in 10 minutes. You want a guy who might shoot two or three shots in a game, but they're high quality looks and he's setting good screens for you. That's what DJ does. And it's going to be a brutal training camp. The Raptors have so many different partially guaranteed guys, but you know, his performance in Vegas is a good start. Average 10.5 points and 5.3 rebounds. 26 minutes a game, so they really wanted to inspect him, and I think they'll be looking at him more and more as they get into training camp. Wilson had three 10-day deals with Toronto last year. Looked like he was primed to get a standard contract to finish the year out, and then injuries struck him. Kind of a bad set here, but no two-way contracts are allowed for DJ. It's all or nothing. League rule is after your fourth season, you're not eligible for two-way deals anymore, so He is going to be playing for the biggest opportunity in his life in the next coming months. So I'll keep you guys posted on that. Hopefully, he's able to crack the roster because he is an NBA player. Xavier Simpson is another guy who's on the NBA radar now. Looked good in his four games with the Thunder. Looked spectacular last year with the OKC Blue. Played with the Orlando Magic. We saw him go head-to-head against OKC. No Paulo in that game. Really good, though. Averaged 8.2 points, 4.2 rebounds, and 6.2 assists in about 23 minutes a game. Ranked 6th, or excuse me, ranked 7th in assists per game in Las Vegas. And ranked 2nd overall in total assists at 31. He's a smart passer, guys. When we got reports of him, and this was back in January, I think, or December when he had his um, deal voided due to COVID, I said, he's an NBA passer. He has that IQ. He still has that IQ. If he's slashing baseline, a lot of players are going to launch just wacky reverses. They're going to you know, go midair and try to kick the ball out. That's not good. He's able to survey the floor, and he utilizes the baseline like really good for a point guard you know and and when you're talking he's a six foot point guard it is amazing how he's able to manage that part of the floor it's not a dead zone for him it's actually one of his better spots to find players dump offs kick outs to the three he was amazing in that category and he was amazing in the half court for them so I still think he's a two-way contract type of guy this will be his third season as a pro so he's eligible for that and Orlando They can use another backup point guard. They continue to use their two-way spots to find those, you know, true point guards. Chase on Randall was one two years ago, played two two games with a blue back in the bubble. Simpson might be the second OKC blue product to get inked to one of those deals. And quite frankly, I think he uh, 
he's going to be in the running because he played a lot of minutes and he played in all the games for them. So he was of the utmost priority for sure. Olivier Saar also was. He was a hot prospect in the free agent pool. And the Lakers tried him out. I'm sure there were other NBA free agent workouts we just didn't hear about. But he was with the Lakers and then he was with the Suns. And he cracked the Suns training camp roster. The Aiton news probably was like a roller coaster because when Indiana sent the offer out and Aiton accepted it, Saar probably had a, a ticket punch to the NBA with the Suns. Got pulled away when the offer got matched by Phoenix. So, you know, the rotation doesn't change for Phoenix or anything, but I still think Saar has a good chance of making their roster. Maybe on a two-way deal, maybe on a standard contract. He's an NBA type of player, though, and he was with OKC to close the year out. You wouldn't have known he was a two-way prospect, especially considering the state of the Thunder. There's so many different prospects. He was out playing a good amount of players, even on the other other side. You know, <laughs> he was efficient, and he was efficient with the Suns. Averaged 14.2 minutes in Vegas, eight rebounds and eight points, so almost a double double. And he had one, a 13-minute double double. And then he got hurt, so had a calf strain that hindered him. I think he only played three games overall. Once he recovers, though, I think he's still going to be in the running. He's 23 years old, so he's not this like fresh-faced guy going into year number two, but he's still a very solid player you can build off of. Just like Omer Yurt 7 with the blue, he was a backup, but he did everything really well. Not the fastest guy, but it translated. Olivier Saar. If he's able to get that three-point shot going, it's going to translate and it's going to be a really good deal for the Suns or whoever takes him because if he's a shooter, he's now an NBA player. You know, it's, it's as simple as that and you could once again see people maybe upset that Sar was in Thunder ranks and then kind of got squandered away. OKC clearly has an archetype. Yurt7 didn't fit it, neither did Sar. It is what it is. You know, you got to kind of look at the long-term plans and how everything meshes together. Tough calls are always being made in the G League, and SAR and Yurt7 most definitely are some of them. Robert Woodard is, is probably not of that same cloth where you have a lot of chatter about them, even if they are successful, because they were hardly playing for the Blue anyways. He played less than 10 games for the team. About two weeks he was on the roster because the Thunder traded for him at the deadline, and then he was picked up on a two-way deal by the San Antonio Spurs. So they basically stole him. There's a long story on this, which I think is super interesting. Woodard was on the Kings. He was selected 40th back in 2020. And because the Stockton Kings were in the G League bubble, they actually had him with the Austin Spurs. So the Spurs organization got to look at Woodard, learn about him as a player, which doesn't typically happen, and now, you know, a year and change down the line, they took him for basically nothing on that two-way contract. So the Kings, they got rid of him. So it's not like a, a totally dirty play, but they had some intel on Woodard, you know, when the Blue got him. So if you're Nazi Muhammad, you might be a little bit upset about how that happened. Woodard with the Spurs, though, he's not inked to any sort of contract. He's still fighting to remain on their roster next season. He was rather quiet. 5.4 points and 6.4 rebounds for him. 18.8 minute roll. Played in all five games. When you're looking with him, I mean, he's more of a 3-4. Undersized, but 
there is sort of a crevice there with you know those undersized fours like they have tended to work in the last couple years and he's a good rebounder he's dropping double doubles at the g league level but does it translate it did not translate particularly well in las vegas you always got to remember vegas doesn't tell you the whole story a lot of really good players struggle in vegas and a lot of players that don't work out star in Vegas it's just kind of how it goes and you always got to take some numbers with a grain of salt with Woodard though probably wanted to have a better effort here um, going into training camp with San Antonio Melvin Frazier Jr. kind of the same thing he was on the other end of that Woodard trade he got dealt from OKC to Minnesota and then OKC took his rights back signing him to a two-way contract two seasons he played with the OKC Blue I really like him as a player. You know, whenever he first was signed to an Exhibit 10 contract, I genuinely thought Melvin Frazier might have made the 15-man roster because he was an NBA caliber player, I think, when he was drafted. And the Orlando Magic did not utilize him well. This is what I'm talking about. With a lot of your 14th, 15th guys on the roster, if they are not fit for your roster they're gonna fizzle out because they're not gonna have reps and they're not going to be working interchangeably with your secondary unit and your stars so Frazier Jr. was kind of put on the struggle bus I think that the way that they handled it signing guys like Wes Wundu Jonathan Simmons really hurt him in the long run and it kind of blocked him from being a mainstay in the NBA I think he had all the tools, 6'5", with a seven foot two wingspan, catch-and-shoot threat, who looked good on defense. With the OKC Blue, he was a good low-maintenance guy. Get you a quick catch-and-shoot three and play some good defense on the other side of the basketball. On his two-way deal, he wasn't the most aggressive. He's not the most aggressive player anyways, but the straight-line drives weren't working for him. And with the Timberwolves, he wasn't as amazing he averaged three points and 1.7 rebounds and he only played three games Minnesota had a good amount of vets surprisingly on their team they had Deontay Burton on their roster and he also didn't play that many minutes but they were trying to divvy things out a lot they clearly have interest in Melvin Frazier Jr. that's why they traded for him last year and that's why they signed him again for Las Vegas this is going to be his I believe fourth season actually no 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 this is going to be his fifth season so he's not two-way eligible anymore and that makes it very interesting just like it does with DJ Wilson like he has to make the roster or he's not going to be able to be on that two-way deal and the difference between an exhibit 10 contract and a two-way contract is a lot of money we are talking about four hundred thousand dollars and when you're talking an NBA standard contract to an Exhibit 10, you already know how it goes. It's like a million dollar difference and change. That is big time money for a guy in Frazier who hasn't been able to perform at the NBA level after the Magic cut him two seasons ago. So I'm rooting for him. I know that as of late, things probably aren't going his direction, but if he is good in training camp, I think he can still position himself to have some selling points as a role player at the two or three spots. So that's kind of my takeaway. Other guys like Jalen Horde, Yorgos Kalaxakis, and Rob Edwards, they didn't play 
and also Jemias Ramsey. You can't forget about him. They didn't play in uh, any sort of circuit over the summer. We have seen Jalen Horde playing in France, though. You know, they have their FIBA basketball going on. They had Teo representing, so um, he's obviously been active. I'm sure all of them are still getting working in the gym. We don't really know where their future holds, though, if they stick around with the blue. Regardless, always got to root for the former blue guys. There are a lot of success stories in the NBA that played with the OKC blue, even if you guys don't know it. Like, they could have played a one lone season with the OKC blue, and they never played for the Thunder, but they're still good. Alex Caruso, perfect example of that. So there's a lot of that influence all around. And same with every team in the G League. They all have their own unique impact and how players have developed all across the league. So really interested in in that. And I'm going to be giving you guys even more OKC Blue coverage as we get into the season. It's one of those deals where it's sort of like a trickle-down effect. We get the NBA news before we get the G League news. And that obviously... Makes it a little bit harder to find coverage, but if there's any signings with some of the members of the former roster, I will let you all know. As of right now, looks like Lindy Waters is the only guy returning, and he's going to be doing so on a two-way contract. Everybody else either has not signed with the Thunder, or they've signed with another team for overseas play, or for the Summer League. So maybe there's some sort of reunion. Anyways, though, guys, that is going to do it for today's episode. I thank you all for listening, and I will talk to you all next time. See ya.